Today we've come into the house of the Lord to honor his name, to remember all the good that Jesus has done for us. And we're here today to not look at ourselves, but to fix our eyes on Jesus. Please go with me to Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion? Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your, your youth is renewed like the eagles. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our, transge- our transgressions from us. Jesus brings hope and life to us. When he comes into a man or woman's heart, they're transformed. We begin to experience life and we begin to live again in a way that we've never lived. Things that we couldn't do, we're now able to do. See, I am here to mark and to memorialize what the Lord God has done for me and what he's done in my heart. I do not forget the path that I've walked on, the broad path full of ambition, pride, ways that were twisted, the quarrels that I've had with many. So I'm here to remember the good that Jesus has done for me. For he has taken away the fight out of my heart and out of my spirit. I no longer desire to rise up and fight with another. But I open my heart to Jesus. And I remember what my place is to stay under him, to prefer another to bless his name, to not be critical. See, I know where I came from. And I am so grateful for the work that Jesus has done in my heart. So I'm here today to say, praise the Lord, my soul. Oh, National Prayer Chapel, praise the name of the Lord, your God. Let your soul rise up and bless the name of the Lord. For he has redeemed you. He has forgiven your sins. He has broken the iron will that so controlled you. And if it still does, there is hope today in Jesus that an iron will can be broken. See, for many years, I lived 
And I believed that I could never overcome this iron will that was so ingrained in my heart. I could never escape the anger. Read God's word. Be encouraged. Find hope. And stand on his word. And go and say, Lord, set me free. When Jesus has redeemed us, we no longer avail our lives and our hearts to everything that come down the path. We begin to test the spirits. We begin to say, Lord, will this honor you? Is this what you want? Our hearts are for the glory of God. When Jesus comes, we begin to live. Jesus lifts us up. It's the devil that pulls us down, brings discouragement, comes and lies to us, takes us down a path that's destructive. Let me read what the word says. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. See, that's the heart of Jesus. He comes and he encircles us with his love and lets us know that he's not going to harm us. That all of his heart and all of heaven is open to us. That he'll come and protect us. He'll come and shed the light in our path. I know that, that today that all of us need to know that, that Jesus loves us. Even in times when our hearts are broken, when our hearts are heavy, it's the love of Jesus that comes and comforts us and causes us to put one foot in front of the other to say, yes, Lord, I trust you and I believe you that tomorrow will be a better day. So just come and trust Jesus. Know that his tender mercies are for you, that he longs for you, and that his protection is on you. One translation says that Jesus comes and he brings the loyalty of his covenant toward us. So if you've entered into covenant today with Jesus, he's going to be loyal to that. And he's going to come and bring your promise. And he's going to honor that because he honors his name. I welcome you today to the National Prayer Chapel into the marvelous and glorious heart of Jesus that's full of compassion, grace, mercy, and love. And I say go forth in that this week and walk in that. And don't let the enemy steal that from your heart. Recognize the one that brings you love and the one that steals it. Be blessed today in the name of Jesus. Did you know when you get lost, Jesus comes looking for you? 
Anybody been lost this week? Lost in anger? Lost in pride? I just want to tell you at the beginning of this message, Jesus is, he's coming right after you. Because he loves you. Now the message today, I'm not sure I need to even preach after that with the children. That's the message. But the Lord has a few things I need to say to you today. We're going to start in 1 Peter. The title of this message, Grave Joy. Grave Joy. Almighty God, would you come with power? Would you open our hearts and our minds that we can understand and then can act on what we understand? That we would not be paralyzed by Baal, by the powers of darkness, that we could hear and understand and act upon what we receive. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Now I must begin this message with a confession. I sit down in the radio studio four days a week, and I begin to speak a very sharp message of the gospel to the people who are listening. And the power of the Holy Spirit falls in the studio, and it's like electricity alive. A number of you have been confronting me for some time. And you've been saying to me, Pastor, your preaching is much sharper on the radio than it is on Sunday at the church. And many of you have made some wonderful excuses for me. You've said, I know you must see people's expression, and so you, you're gentle. Thank you for the excuse. But to be honest with you, my preaching is different on Sunday than the rest of the week because my heart has been very discouraged by the National Prayer Chapel. And part of me has pulled back. There was a time when I did not see things happening in spiritual growth in the congregation, and I would say, okay, I'm going to push the bar up higher. In the last year or so, I've not done that. I've pulled back. I've been faithful to preach. I've given you what the Lord has given me. But the sharp edge has not been there on Sunday. And I have to say to you, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. My preaching must not be in any manner affected by how you choose to respond or choose not to respond. It has to be the Word of God gained in the heat of the throne room and in the prayer closet and then poured out regardless of your response. 
for our God is a holy God. Now, there is a response I desire to see from you. I desire with all of my heart to see you making progress in Christian life, not giving way to any demonic influence. It pains my heart when I speak the word of God to you, and after the service is over, there is levity. There is a casualness. It breaks my heart when you blow in and blow out so that I don't know from one Sunday to another that you'll be present in the house of the Lord. What do you think I have to do when you're not here? You've just chopped out a whole section of my week to pray for you. Because it matters whether you're here or not. It grieves my heart when after the service, as I walk out, I hear bickering. I hear arguments. I even hear at times yelling one at another. It grieves my heart. It breaks me. I know God wants to do something marvelous in this house. I know my sin is drawing back and saying, Lord, I don't want to offend. I'll just pull back. And you know, after so many times of being told hurtful things, I find that a certain wall goes up around my heart. Why should anyone say a hurtful thing to a, to a pastor of the Lord? Now, that doesn't mean people aren't going to disagree. All of you are welcome to disagree with me. I'm not going to always say what's correct. I know that. And I ask you to please forgive me for anything that I have said or done that has hurt your heart. But I beg of you, do not let a bitter root grow up in your heart. Don't let a bitter root grow up that will cause many to sin and be harmed. For I would never intentionally say or do anything that would harm your walk with Jesus. Just the opposite. I would do or say anything necessary to help you walk in Jesus. There needs to be between pastor and congregation a very close relationship where we can be honest with each other about our journey with Jesus because we are serving a holy God. There needs to be a relationship of love and respect both for you and for me. There needs to be an earnest desire to grow in Jesus. That's why we're here. You're not here to fill a seat. You're here to be serious with Jesus and with each other and with me about the journey to heaven. 
That's what we're about. We are on a pilgrimage to heaven. And if you blow in and out of this congregation and do not take seriously the word that is spoken, then you are treating Jesus with contempt. For he's the one who rules in this house. He is the head of the National Prayer Chapel and always will be if I'm here. For I'm not going to take that role. So on one side, I confess my shortfall in not being the pastor I need to be by pulling back. But I also ask you to be responsible as a member of this congregation for what you have done and what you have said to me or to others that has caused harm or hurt. There is absolutely nothing except sin that should cause any of us to become angry with one another. We all have choices to make. Will we walk clean in Jesus? Or will we give way to our vain imaginations that we're somebody important and begin to criticize and condemn? I pray that will not happen in this house. Now in 1 Peter, last week, in verse 6, in that you greatly rejoice, though for a little while now it is necessary, having been grieved by various trials. None of you should be grieved with a trial from your pastor. And your pastor should never be grieved by a trial from you. This is... The world, that Jesus allows the devil to come outside of the body of Christ and grieve us and pierce us, the word trial, to assay. When you assay a piece of gold, you determine its value. You assay it to see what the gold content is. These trials that come to us are to determine how much gold we have that the proof of your faith, proof. I wish all of you could have been there Tuesday night as our dear brother David Sampson unfolded his heart regarding these truths of, of the parasmus, the piercing, the assaying, and the dokoma, the proving, genuine, the value. And Peter is saying, look, this is going to happen to all of us. It would be very interesting for me to come to each one of you and say to you, are you the genuine deal or are you phony? That's a rather offensive question, isn't it? But it's one we have to be honest and answer. And I loved Anmal's answer today. I messed up. I began to crave going to the loud music and the sexy gals. I said to them, they look look a lot prettier there in the dark than they would if you put them in the sunlight. (laughs) And he agreed. He said they'd be pretty sleazy in the sunlight. (laughs) I love that he was so bold and so honest to say, I made a mistake and I had to repent. 
And I'm now clean pastor with Jesus. Do you know how much joy that phone call put in my heart? Do you know what joy it would bring to my heart? To get a message from you saying, this has been a sin I've had to struggle against. And now by the grace of God, I have the victory. I'll be in the house of the Lord Sunday. And he's here in the house of the Lord. I love that. If our progress is not measurable, it is not progress. If the victories are not being won, and you leave this house, and you have rage in your heart ready to explode at a person in your family, you have no victory. If your husband is not here, when you see him, he should have someone like you come to him like Ed did to his wife and say, you know what? What? I love you. And Ed answered the right way. She melted several degrees. It's tough to have a live in a refrigerator relationship. It's icy. It's cold. And when the power of God begins to flow and it begins to thaw out, how wonderful. So Peter's saying, look, you are going to go through these piercings. Now, what are you going to do? Are you going to be proven of value? Tested by fire. And then our passage today. Verse 10, concerning that salvation, prophets, the one having prophesied concerning the grace with reference to you, sought out and intently searched out, searching into what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ with them was predicting, testifying beforehand the sufferings with reference, with reference to Christ and the glories after these things. It was revealed to them that this was not for them. It was, it was for us, for the future that would come. I want to read for you this 53rd chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah 53. Isaiah didn't know what he was prophesying about. But he was eager to understand this. And he was trying to grab a hold of what is God talking about? Peter tells us it was the Spirit of Christ himself that was describing for Isaiah what was going to happen to him. Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with sufferings. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely, he took up our diseases and sicknesses. He carried our sorrows the word in the, in the Hebrew is pain. He carried our pain. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, afflicted. 
but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Though the Lord makes his life a a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand after the suffering of his soul. He will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. What glorious description of our Lord and Savior. And Isaiah is saying, what is this? What's this about? In Isaiah Chapter 6, in the year of King Uzziah, he went to the temple. Isaiah was always going to the temple. That's where he loved to be, in the house of the Lord. He went to the temple, and everyone was busy. People were bringing in their, their lambs. They were bringing in their offerings. They were putting money in the offering bins that were just outside the temple. The sacrifices were all going. There was the aroma of cooking meat from the altar. People were talking to each other. Isaiah came as he always came to pray, to be in the presence of God. That's why we come here, to pray, to be in the presence of God. Not to be casual, not to be filled with levity, not to make dinner arrangements. We come here to be in the presence of God. And this had never happened to Isaiah before. He came walking into the temple to pray. And he saw that God had already arrived there before he got there. I mean, what would you think if you came today 
And as you came through that door, suddenly you saw the glory of God filling this place. And it was shaking. And there was smoke and there was fire. Would you turn and run? I might. What would you do if you saw the lights were not even on? But the place was more brilliant than the sun. Isaiah walks into the temple and he saw the Lord seated on a throne. What if you came in and and none of this was here? Instead, there was a great throne sitting here and Jesus was sitting on that throne. Would you run? Would you laugh and tell those with you some jokes? I wouldn't. I'd come and fall at his feet and say, Jesus, thank you. You've come to be with your people. I would weep. Isaiah looks in and he sees the train of the robe of God fills the temple. Do you understand what a train is? Have you ever seen a bride come down the aisle and the train is so long behind her, you wonder how she can pull it? You know that's an expensive wedding gown. The more important the bride, the longer the train. And the more attendants that have to carry it. And every time the bride turns, the attendants quickly go behind her and straighten the train. Why? Because she's important. This is her day. God's train filled the whole temple. It was huge. He sees this. And then he sees seraphs. You understand what a seraph is? A seraph is an angel. There are different kinds of angels. A seraph is a serpent-like angel. Very beautiful and very powerful. They are the war angels of heaven. They guard the Most High. The seraphs are the ones who defeat the devil and who finally take him captive and cast him into the flames of hell, who bind him hand and foot. They each had six wings. With two wings they covered their faces because they were in the presence of a holy God. With two they covered their feet so as not to be common. With two they were flying and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. See this morning. It doesn't matter whether you see God's glory or not. His glory is filling this whole earth. We don't see it because we're blind. We would be too terrified if we saw it. The glory of God fills the earth. He will have the victory and he will have a people. You've heard much about predestination. We're not going to go into it today, but let me be very clear. Nowhere in Scripture is an individual predestined to salvation. 
God does not predestine an individual to salvation. He predestines a people. He predestines a a bride for himself. He predestined the children of Israel, but most of them died in the desert. Does that mean God doesn't have a predestined people? No, he had a people to take into that promised land. God predestined a bride for himself, a people that would be holy, sanctified, set apart. Holy. Holy. Holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. This week, there were some very painful times for me. As I was in the presence of God in the prayer closet, I began to review in my mind my whole life. And I began to look and understand at a whole new level how much my life has been about me and not Jesus. About the wounds of my heart instead of the wounds of his heart. I just read for you Isaiah 53. He was crushed. He was wounded. Let's be very practical. He had brothers who scorned him. His father, Joseph, had died. He had lost his father. Do you understand what that meant? The family business had been put into competition for all the brothers to scramble after. And I'm sure Jesus did not scramble for his share of the family business. He was considered strange. Insane. He was scorned. And he was holy. Holy. The word literally means set apart from everything common. Set apart from all sin. Set apart from all decay and destruction. There is no decay in Jesus. While he was on the earth, there was no decay in Jesus. He was like Adam before the fall. He was God. He calls us away from the common. Jesus could go out in a fishing boat. He could help the disciples fill the boat with fish. But it was not common. There was no 
foolishness from Jesus. Oh, he had a sense of humor, but there was no cheapness about Jesus. There were no accusations and condemnations out of Jesus. There was no willfulness out of Jesus. He knew what his mission was, and he was about that mission. Are you about the mission of God that he's called you to? We're called to operate in an office or in a... Wherever God places us, a construction site, wherever. But there's to be no commonness for us in that thing. He's called us into relationships with one another. And there's to be no commonness between us. There's to be no condemnation No bitterness, no rising up of anger, no harshness. I was so gratified by one person this week who called me and who talked about the relationship with he and his wife. And he made a statement that just made my heart sing. He said, I will not bite her. Wow. I will not bite her. What he did not add that he could have, she deserves every bite I can give her. Do you understand? When a person displeases you, it does not mean you should bite them. Why? Because God is holy. And we are called to be holy like he is holy. So if we're biting one another, we're not holy. If we're responding to insult with insult, we are not holy. And this week I've had to review much of my life And just weep before the Lord and say, Lord, I have walked in such commonness in my life. And I repent of it. Is it really so necessary for me to defend myself so that I can be right? I've heard brothers and sisters get angry with one another about the most foolish things. One says, this fact is right. And the other says, no, you've missed it. This is right. And then they get in an argument over who's right. They're both wrong. It's foolishness. It's commonness. It's argument for argumentation's sake. I think some of you enjoy fighting for the sake of the fight. That's a violent nature that has to be eradicated because it is against holiness. It is against the Lord. And when I see that, my heart is grieved. And to be honest with you, when I see it, it means I'm going to have to spend some very significant time in the coming days dealing with the Lord Jesus about you and asking that Jesus deal with you in love and kindness, but deal with Stop this in their lives. 
change them. I'm not going to come to you and rebuke you. I'm going to go to Jesus and ask him to go after you, to send the Holy Spirit to change you. This National Prayer Chapel is called to be holy. Holy, holy, holy. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. Please, when I see Jesus, I'm ruined. Because all of my opinions, I see them for what they are. All of my defenses, I see for what they are. Somehow, when I come into the presence of Jesus, I become a shadow man. Where suddenly, every evil thing is exposed to my heart. And I have to say to the Lord, Woe to me, I am ruined. We have a very interesting situation on Friday night. We have a group of Christians who gather in the name of Jesus. But one of those Christians has a husband who is Jewish and not a believer. And he's been coming more sooner to pick his wife up and getting some food. He's been spending a little more time. He's being drawn. But if we are not before God as holy, how can this man be saved? If there is not enough Holy Spirit presence in our midst to convict a sinner of his sin and bring him into relationship with Jesus, what are we doing? What are we doing? As a church, what are we doing? If we don't come with seriousness before the mighty God of heaven and acknowledge before him the wickedness of our hearts and have it taken away from us and be healed and be restored and gain the victory. What are we doing? How many years have you struggled with a very specific sin in your heart? How long do you plan on struggling with that? Why not just get the victory today? The victory is offered today. Whether it be lust Fornication, anger, bitterness, pride, self, whatever it is, how long will the Holy Spirit have to deal with your heart on that issue before you finally say, okay, I'm done? One of you said to me, I'm done, Pastor. So, what do you mean? I'm done. I'm done with the devil. I'm done with sin. I'm done with everything that is not Jesus. I'm done. I don't want it anymore. Have you made that decision? Are you done? Or have you been playing with 
attitudes and feelings? Have you been playing with things that are not like Jesus, that are not holy? How long must the Holy Spirit strive with you in your heart before you will finally say, all right, I don't have to be right anymore? You know, it's a lot more fun to be loved than to be right. Are there issues in your life that you're still struggling with the Holy Spirit over? When are you going to surrender those to Jesus and stop walking in pride and making your own schedule and doing what you want to do and going where you want to go and acting like you want to act? When will you just say, I'm done? I'm done, Jesus. I'm yours. Come and take full possession, Jesus. I'm not going to fight anymore. I'm not going to argue anymore. I'm not going to bicker anymore. I'm not going to have to be right anymore. You know, a brother or sister can say something to us. A husband or a wife can say something to us, and it rankles in our spirit. And if we allow that thing to begin to grow larger and larger, it'll finally begin to poison that relationship. It'll begin to poison people who are around us because we have an attitude. The worst thing my father could say to me as a little boy was, Raymond, change your attitude or I'm going to change it for you. Oh, I didn't like the sound of those words. But I knew what he meant. My dad could change my attitude with a very sound spanking. My whole attitude changed then. It humbled my heart. It also made me really angry. And I had to stay in my room until I was over my anger. He would send me to my room and say, Raymond, I know you're mad because I spanked you. I did it because I love you. Now, go to your room and stay there until you can come out with a sweet attitude or I'm going to spank you again. You think God doesn't do that with us? Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. That's his condition. And I can't tell you today how absolutely grateful I am that the Lord does not simply ask us to confess our condition. He then offers to change us. That's the gospel. That's the good news that God will come and grant us the victory. We don't have to stay in our mess. One of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken from the from the altar with tongs. You ever wonder why the angel didn't just reach in and grab the live coal with his hand? It would have burned him. The righteousness of God 
the holiness of God. Well, the angels are holy too, but not the way God is. And not the way he's called us to be. Because he's not making angels his bride. He's making us his bride. And that angel came with that living coal burning. And he touched Isaiah's mouth. And he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Wow. God is holy. And he has something burning to come and put upon us that will atone for our sins. The living blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of God himself to come and touch us. Not for the angels. Do you understand? The fallen angels have no access to the blood of Jesus Christ. That blood is for us, the sons and daughters of Adam, to touch us with fire. It was not for the holy angel to touch. He had to use an instrument to pick it up. It's for us. It's the glory of God that he wants to give to us. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Now, in my mind, the picture that I see is that on one end of this large temple is a throne. And the seraphs and the smoke and the fire And the building is shaking. Nobody perceives this but Isaiah and God. And Isaiah comes in the front door, and I suspect he just stepped over to the side. I don't think he came toward the throne of God. And I see this short little Jewish man all the way in the back. People are walking around. People are doing things. They're totally unconscious of what's happening. Please, you can walk into this place on a Sunday and be totally unconscious of what God is doing in this house. You can blow it off and be casual. But God's presence is not dependent upon you recognizing what God is doing. He's doing it. His church is the apple of his eye. It is the most precious possession of his heart. It's his bride. And that bride is being made up by men and women who will walk in and see the reality of the holiness of God And not be blinded, but know when they walk in that this is not just a casual gathering of people who are having a good time together. This is people who prepared to come into the presence of God. 
people who have done their prayer time, who have read the scriptures, who have repented before the Lord, who have put away all wickedness from their hearts, who have made a vow, I'm done with sin, I'm coming into the presence of God. Now, whether you know it or not, whether you can see it or not, there's a throne and Jesus is seated right here in this room now. We worship in spirit and truth. You don't see a physical throne. We're not called to worship God in the physical. We're called to worship him in spirit and in truth. You can't always see the truth with your physical eyes. He's calling us out of the closedness and wickedness of the flesh, the world, the devil. And he's calling us into the spirit. We're to live in the spirit. And I see this little man in the back hearing the great booming voice of God echo through that temple. Who shall I send? And who will go for us? And I think he put his hand up hesitantly. And he said, here I am. I'll go for you. Is your hand up today in the presence of Almighty God? Saying, here I am, God. I'll go for you. I'll do what you ask me to do. I'll go where you ask me to go. I'll say what you tell me to say. I'm no longer a servant of the devil. I'm no longer walking in the flesh. I'm no longer walking in anger and bitterness. I'm done with it. Here I am, God. I'll go. And he said, go tell this people. Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. A better translation is, this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears and they've closed their eyes. And I'm asking you today, please be honest with yourself and with the Holy Spirit. Is your heart calloused? Have you become hardened to the things of God? Have you determined that you will have your way? Have you argued with God? Or will you humble your heart before him? And say, here am I, send me. You have to be right. Or do you have to be holy? We serve a holy God, a righteous God, who's calling for his bride to come together. This church is to be a part of the bride of Jesus Christ. And it means we lay down everything that blocks our way. The only way a man or woman can be saved is through the church. It may be the invisible church, but it's only through the church. It's only in the body of Christ. 
How do you treat the body of Christ? Do you hold the body of Christ in your heart through the week? Or are you so full of your own ideas and your own stuff that you have no room for the body of Christ in your heart? Are you driving down the street and suddenly the Holy Spirit can say, pray for this person. Call this one. Send this message to them. Is it here am I, send me? Or is it I'm about my business, I'll show up if I want to? We serve a holy God. Holy, holy, holy. Almighty God, these old prophets, they knew about you, Jesus. They just didn't understand the fullness of the glory of the gospel. I thank you for Isaiah. I tremble every time I read him. He's such a a righteous and holy man. But you made him this way. You touched him with the coal off the altar. Lord, touch us with that coal off the altar. Today, as we take the communion, let the grape juice be the coal off the altar. Let the bread be your broken body. Lord, strengthen us in our inner man and woman for the journey. I pray in your holy name. Amen.